Hey, greetings, fellow traders. It is Wednesday after the close. We're waiting for Facebook to announce earnings and, of course, Apple tomorrow night. Um, I'm Samantha LaDuke, founder of LaDukeTrading.com and CIO of LaDuke Capital LLC. I'm joined by um, Craig Shapiro, who is a hedge fund manager, former client turned macro advisor exclusively for uh, LaDuke Trading clients. He also runs our institutional edge product. So able to provide that concierge outsourcing macro advisor um, hat and support real-time trade management engagement with clients, uh, mostly macro and fixed income and equity traders of, uh, of who are managing money. So this is really very helpful since we're in a macro to micro environment where macro still is major risk. Uh, micro has all these twists and turns. That's what I try in time and give reasons for and levels for in my live trading room. So he's the macro. Um, I'm the macro tourist, and I use that macro to micro to better time inflection points. Um, and we're going to talk about that. So we had a, a big theme going into uh, the past few months, obviously, that the market has topped, and we're going to have to endure these bear market rallies. Um, but at the same time, our theme has not changed that NASDAQ underperformance as a result of this, you know, Fed hiking regime, which is not going away. So we've definitely talked about this, um, you know, on Twitter and, you know, with each other, but we decided to do this webinar two weeks ago, uh, Know What You Own, because we were sitting on some really serious levels of support that could be uh, crashed through as it related to bonds and stocks. So we were both max bearish and we did um, this webinar and then uh, basically know what you own because the risks are increasing, not decreasing um, in both macro and micro, meaning this, this market structure that we have is getting more fragile. And then um, right before uh, last week when we had announced that we were going to do it again, this particular uh, episode, if you will, of macro to micro power hour, the focus was going to be on this brace for impact because I had put out a warning quite audibly, both for clients um, and as well on Twitter, which was brace for impact if bulls don't defend here. And that was very specific on Thursday, the day before the Friday Bank of Japan intervention. So for those who may not know, we had a massive um, uh, Bank of Japan intervention where they bought yen to keep the USDJPY from further uh, becoming unpegged and untethered. Uh, so they basically saved their bond market. And uh, this was very important because it helped pull down our dollar and our yields, US dollar and yields, to create this risk on movement. We also had uh, Yellen coming out, you know, talking about, talking about uh, treasury buybacks. And we also had um, the Wall Street Journal uh, Fed whisperer come out with an article exactly at 9 a.m., right, 30 minutes before the yen intervention, um, where there was concern by Fed heads wanting to uh, slow down the rate hike um, uh, intensity and, and, and path, so intonating a pause. So that was basically the, the three legs of a table that uh, allowed bonds to stop falling, and they were absolutely uh, ready to cascade lower. It also helped the dollar pullback and that gave equities um, all kinds of confidence to short 
um, monetize the puts that they had been holding and then chase calls at, at, at elevated speed. So both Craig and I are like, they're really going to do it. Like we're saying careful out there, know what you own, brace for impact. And then boom, that happened. We had intervention and not a little bit, a lot. So that intervention is basically the event that has triggered this most recent rally of Friday, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, despite the missed earnings by Google and Microsoft, which have been um, very strong trend reversal candidates uh, that I've recommended to clients this whole year. So now we're awaiting Apple tomorrow night, Bank of Apple, and uh, that will impact sentiment, no question. Um, as well as price. But the way that the market is behaving, it does seems very, very bold up into FOMC on February 2nd and midterm elections on, did I say February? November 2nd and FOM um, midterm elections on November 8th. So that's my thesis of how we got here and why we're you know getting together today. Um, I also wanted to just uh, ask you to stay tuned to the end of this webinar, there will be a promotional that James, our lovely director of marketing, has put together um, for those who would like to join um, my service, which is the fishing club service. And then we have basically an upgrade to a macro advisor um, service that Craig posts in. It's not the Edge product. The Edge product is very much concierge, you know, customized presence for those who really want a macro advisor on their team. And that's the, the, the role that Craig serves. But it is absolutely beneficial to understand what's happening in the macro backdrop with economics and yield curve and central bank decisions um, across fixed income currencies and equities. So I invite you to stay tuned to the end of this webinar. So we will promote and uh, Published that particular offer. And now to Craig. Craig, hey, happy Wednesday. <laughs> Good afternoon. Uh, thanks for having me again. Another, another wild day, another wild week. It's, uh, you know, it's really feels like it never stops. Um, but uh, yeah, look, I think the, what we spoke about a couple of weeks ago um, about my framework and, you know, what I was anticipating regarding the need for the Fed to provide incremental liquidity in order to allow risk asset markets to work. Um, that hasn't changed. I don't you know, really you know, anticipate um, the Fed doing anything different from what they've been saying they're gonna do. But what we, what we find continuously is when we get to what seemingly key technical levels or key levels on your volume charts, which we talk about all the time, um, or key levels in, in various FX crosses or the bond market where rates are, we, we, we almost inevitably get uh, an invisible hand type <laughs> reaction. And I think just has a lot to do with positioning and uh, maybe some uniformity in, in, in a trend view um, that many investors across a variety of asset classes have uh, about how to play this. And so when things get extended in one direction, they get extended across many asset classes. The dollar rallies, bonds are weak, credit is wide, stocks are down, um, and everyone's leaning in that direction, kind of anticipating um, a, a hot CPI print or a hot labor print or a, a Fed speaker that's going to come out and say the terminal rate should be going higher and higher and higher. And then all of a sudden, 
you know, we start to worry about the system and fragility and financial stability. And then boom, something happens and we, we go, you know, a, a comment is made that sounds like it's important and it's really probably not, but because the way everyone is set up, it, it becomes important. And then it creates a counter trend narrative that forces FOMO in, in, in a lot of ways and position closing down, um, risk reduction, and it gives the appearance that something has materially changed. So I think what we had kind of last uh, Friday was this kind of combination of, you know, dollar yen moving kind of through 150. Um, and the market was testing to figure out where the BOJ was going to intervene in a, in a large way. Um, and at the point in time on a Friday morning, you know, Nick Timoros, um, the Fed whisperer for, for, you know, it's, I don't know if he's self-anointed or is that, you know, I know he did a nice, uh, puff piece in New York magazine a couple of weeks ago. So he's sure he's pretty, uh, you know, high on himself and on his calls, but, um, you know, kind of put out a, a, a piece that sounded like the Fed was really actively discussing a, a step down in rate hikes, um, you know, not for this meeting, but for December, and it will be discussed in this meeting. And, you know, look, I mean, I think if you kind of read, you know, and I go through all the speeches, I listen to most of them, um, you know, the, 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 the things that he was pointing out um, were things that were known um, as far as what Daly had been saying, what Evans had been saying, and Bullard, I mean, all, you know, these guys speak all the time. So it wasn't, it shouldn't have really been a surprise that there are some dovish members of the Fed led by Brainerd who would like to see a step down in rate, in rate hikes. So shouldn't have been a surprise. But um, when he puts it out on uh, Friday before the blackout period and the terminal rate, you know, had been above 5%, which is well above where the dot plot was suggesting, it kind of kicked off this, this reaction function. So you have this idea that Powell, you know, Nick speaks for Powell, the Fed is moving, then the BOJ comes in, sells dollars, and kind of creates this, this, this spiral effect where people were short, need to cover, it was expiry, you know, a lot of volume on the tape, um, you know, bonds that got extended. So, it, you know, one plus one plus one equals 10. And it looks today, or it looks, let's say, you know, before today, like all systems go, um, you know, the Fed is going to pivot, they're going to, or they're going to pause. Um, it's kind of confirmed by, you know, Canada this morning, they're, they're slowing their rate hikes down. Australia has already done that. Mexico is considering doing that. So it, it, it sounds, you know, then the PBOC comes in and intervenes and it feels like, you know, there is this kind of globally coordinated effort to slow down the pace of rate hikes, even though inflation has not been solved. So, you know, where does that leave us? I mean, as far as equities are concerned, equities still have to deliver on earnings in order for this to work. Mm -hmm. um, it may be the case that a terminal rate above 5% at this point in the cycle is, is too high. And so we really need to be in the kind of four, eight to five range, which is where the dot plot is, you know, really for 2023. Um, and so if the terminal rate can't move higher, then maybe multiples on stocks won't go lower right now. But the other side of this is earnings. Um, and while there have been, you know, several uh, good reports are off of low bar, you know, to start this earnings season. Off a of low bar. That's, that's a low the bar. Mm -hmm. We, we, you know, we're now into 
the big guys reporting. And yesterday, really for me, and I think should kick off a, a downward revision cycle for earnings that will not be equity friendly. And it's something that we've been talking about for months and the street's been very sticky uh, not to move 2023 numbers down. But after Google uh, and Microsoft, you know, kind of two bellwether behemoths, you know, report tepid outlooks, you know, taking down numbers for, for next quarter and for next year. And now Facebook uh, or Meta, whatever it is, just reported stocks down 7%. I haven't seen what's going on there, but clearly stocks at the lows and then, you know, making another move down. I mean, you know, I think we're going to be into this negative earnings revision cycle right now. Um, and I know that in, in, in a high inflation environment, you know, nominal earnings and nominal sales can be high, but you know, we, we earnings need to come through. And if these, if these earnings prints don't come through, then we, while we don't have continued multiple degradation as a, as a potentially, you know, a, not a negative factor anymore, if the ease coming down, stocks aren't going to work. So, um, you know, we have Apple and Amazon tomorrow after the close, but my sense is, um, you know, the positive earnings that we're seeing in names like Exxon and, and upstream energy are not really enough to drive the entirety of the tape higher. So, um, you know, leave it, I'll, I'll stop there, but that's kind of my, you know, kind of thought about where, how we got to where we are right now, but, you know, still holding out on a view that I don't think the Fed is really in any position to, to change course. And I don't suspect that there was this uh, globally coordinated effort um, to to really loosen financial conditions with inflation still as robust as it is. So do you think it's political? Um, I, I, I'm not sure, really. I mean, I understand this idea that, you know, the administration wouldn't want to see a further market correction two to three weeks before the election and would get blamed for you know, for that. Um, but I'm not really sure that's something that the Fed, you know, necessarily, you know, cares about um, and wants to go out of its way to avoid. But <clears throat> again, just given where positioning was, it just, kinda, you know, it, 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 it allowed us to alleviate that oversold. And now but where, where are we now? We're, we're in a position now where the markets have rallied now aggressively off the lows. Inflation expectations are moving higher again. Break-even yields are moving back to the high end of the range that we've seen you know, over the course of the last three months. You're um, break-even, yeah. So, it, you know, you know, for me, I, I look at the Fed has, you know, I guess five different things it could look at in order to kind of, you know, choose to um, reverse course or pause this course. And let's take these kind of in reverse order. Um, the labor market would be the first thing or the, maybe, the, maybe the most important thing. If the labor market were to deteriorate, that would give them, you know, something, I guess, to, you know, to pause on. Frankly, the labor market is as hot as really we've seen in quite some time. Um, we, we have a wage number that comes this Friday, which will be very important. It's the third quarter employment cost index. Powell has said specifically, this is something that they really look at. Street is looking for a sequential tick down in the growth rate for the third quarter versus the second quarter versus the first quarter. So I suspect this is going to, if, if this moves higher instead, then the labor market is not going to be a reason that the Fed could, could pause. That, that to me, that's the furthest away from pausing. Number two would be actual inflation falling. I mean, we've seen kind of headline CPI is 
you know, is a little bit off the highs because oil has come down, but core CPI and core PCE, Dallas trend mean, Atlanta sticky Fed in inflation, Cleveland Fed. I mean, these, these readings are all broad based and basically at the high. So there's really been no sign yet that inflation um, is falling. Um, it's anticipated to, but it hasn't. So that's not happening. The third thing would be inflation expectations. So if, if that were to move lower and become um, you know, de-anchored from the low side, then maybe the Fed could say, look, our tightening has, has done enough. Uh, we've been restricted enough and we will be able to pause our tightening agenda. Well, like I mentioned before, and you're showing here, you know, since the, you know, since the beginning of the month, these yields have moved kind of 30 plus basis points. They're above where they were when Powell spoke in September. So they're back there. They're moving higher again, not lower. Um, so again, the bar for them to use this as an excuse uh, to pause their policy path this, that doesn't seem there to me. And then the fourth thing I would say is, well, the growth data is deteriorating and they can really start pointing to, you know, the slowdown in the economy. Um, look, the Atlanta Fed GDP estimate for the third quarter is ticking a new high for the year. Okay. So, you know, there was talk early in the year about a recession, which the Fed said didn't happen. You can't have a full employment recession. And now, look, we're seeing GDP above 3% expected for the third quarter. It's, we're not in recession. You know, the City Surprise Index, which I also flagged, is another kind of forward indicator about how data stacks up versus where expectations are. Um, you know, earlier this year in, in June and July, there was a rapid deterioration in the, in the data and the expectations of data, data was missing continuously, which I think led to you know, this concern at the July meeting for the Fed, which kind of kicked off a, a, a pause trade, which ultimately, you know, that needed to backtrack on. Yep, petered so I, out. Petered out. So if I look at the expect, you know, city surprise expectations now, they're hovering around zero and they've been trending up for the last several months. So I think we need to see a, a, a rapid fall there as well in order to you know, get the Fed to pause, which kind of brings me then to the, the fifth point, <clears throat> which is this financial stability idea. And really, it's an international financial stability idea. Like, is there pain or strain in global markets that will feed back into the U.S. economy or U.S. financial markets um, that would lead the Fed to, to do something? And Look, I mean, we, we are seeing, you know, strain in a variety of FX crosses. Clearly, China this week and last week, you know, we can talk about that in, in a little bit, but there's some issues there, dollar yen. So clearly there is global strain. But, you know, after a 10-day a, a, a move since our CPI print, the dollar is off the highs, bond yields are off the highs. You know, we've had some, you know, the UK situation has been fixed for now. Um, so a lot of this, this, you know, heat on the bo or, or boiling of heat from international financial stability risk. I think that ultimately will be the place that'll that'll cause the Fed to pivot and pause and pivot. But I, I don't really see it yet. And you know, Bullard and Waller have both referenced the St. Louis uh, Fed financial stress indicator as a financial stability indicator. It, it's at the lows. I mean, it's it's in negative territory. There, it's it's showing no no system stress for the U.S. and U.S. economy. So, you know. Which one is that again? It's called St. Louis Fed. Okay. Um, Financial Stability Index. Yeah, um, no, I, I, you sent me two, but I don't see yeah. that. Oh, yeah, yeah, my apologies. But so look, I think, you know, that evidence to me 
all suggests that the Fed is not is not moving, is not changing, is not doing anything um, different from what they said they, they were going to do, which I think then really sets up a potential situation this Friday. We have the PCE print and this ECI print. Um, you know, I, I think if if those are both uh, firm as expected, you know, I think the messaging from the November meeting next Wednesday may push against what Timoros is kind of suggesting because the Hawks who are Powell and most of the governors and most of the board still are, are not in the Brainerd camp and there will be no real data to suggest that it's time to move. So um, that could set up, you know, that could set us back up for, an, an, you know, another replay of the down trade and, you know, we're, you know, go back to the low end of the range again into the election. So, um, yeah, my, that, that's what I think is going to happen. But um, clearly, you know, when we've moved, you know, 300 plus handles the other way, you have to kind of, you know, assess and think about, you know, what you got wrong and what you missed. And I think we're doing that now. And, and you know, but I don't, again, I don't really think the trend um, has changed. So Hartnett was out, Bank of America, um, Hartnett said quantitative tightening is slowly morphing into quantitative tinkering. So to imply that um, you know Powell might uh, do a little dance around Operation Twist, even in sentiment that would be very market bullish, what do you think the chances are for that, um, given all the backdrop of reasons for Fed to continue not only sounding hawkish, but following through with hawkish hikes? And I mean... I would be I would be very surprised by that. I don't think that's on the agenda, certainly not for this meeting, really even not for next meeting. I mean, they, they you know they're just really getting going on the step up in in QT. Um, they're not hitting their targets on the MBS already. So because high interest rates has led to lower prepayments, and and so there's less money that's been coming back to the Fed from there. So. Um, I don't suspect they, I think eventually they will slow down the pace of QT, but again, it kind of gets back to this framework of, well, what's the, what's the reason? Why are they going to do it? Um, I think the more, you know, people are more focused now on this idea that the, that the treasury is going to start doing something. Yes. Yellen, Yellen has been out, you know, several days over the course of the last two weeks since the IMF meetings. Every about, day. About... <laughs> about treasury liquidity and whether or not it's it's good or bad and how could it be better and what could we do about it and even though we're in you know supposed to be at full employment and a robust economy there's some issue in the treasury market so she's mindful of it um i think a treasury buyback i mean it's not really an expert you know in this field but ultimately what they're going to wind up doing is issuing more short-term bills to buy less liquid kind of, you know, bonds that sit either on bank balance sheets or on, you know, private investor balance sheets because, you know, these bonds are less liquid. They're off the run securities. Um, and they, there is a need for a kind of a marginally higher capital charge for banks. And so banks don't really want to hold them. And so they're, they're, that's the liquidity issue that they're referring to. And there's some idea that potentially, you know, doing a buyback and issuing more bills provides more collateral, which would take the money, more money out of the reverse repo facility into bills. 
I don't know. It's a lot. I know, you know, Joseph Wang, the Fed guy, has talked a lot about it. Seems like, um, you know, there is momentum on there. The the TBAC, which is the Treasury, um, you know, basically the the Treasury Committee that talks about debt, they spoke about it at their last meeting. Um, they put a feeler out to the street a few weeks ago. They meet on Monday, and there'll be some news out um, on Wednesday about whether or not that is. So that's the same day as the Fed. Um, yeah. So, you know, that, 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 but, Ultimately, that's, I don't really think this is a story for 2022. Most of the street guys who I've been reading say maybe if this happens, it's, you know, more of a 1Q23 or 2Q23 event. And, you know, they're issuing, but in my mind, like they're issuing, you know, higher yielding bills to buy back lower yielding bonds. I'm not exactly sure how that's a great idea um, from a taxpayer, you know, cost of funding perspective for the government. So I, I don't really know if that's going to be kind of some panacea that, that everyone expects it to be. Uh, I was chatting earlier today with, um, with Luke Roman. He mentioned something incredible to me, which I did not know, which is that I didn't realize that tre- uh, Treasury has to roll $6 trillion of debt in 2023. It's just a staggering number. It's, just, it's, an, it's an enormous number. You think about where bill yield, well, obviously a lot of that is is short-term paper. You think about where bill yields are today versus where they were a year ago. I mean, we're up several hundred percent. So cost of borrowing is becoming a larger issue for the U.S. government. I suspect that's also why Yellen is, you know, starting to push back a little bit. She knows, you know, a, a much higher interest rate for the U.S. government is going to be a problem for um, how we pay our bills and interest expense going up is, you know, kind of a, a, a growth headwind. So, I mean, there's a lot going on there too, but I don't think that's your original question. I don't, I don't really see QT changes imminent, you know, unless we start to see these inflation expectations falling and more strain in, in, in global, you know, global risk. Well, I'm just highlighting as you're talking, bringing up some relevant charts to kind of that I've, you know, retweeted um, or presented in uh, in Slack for our client workspace, uh, Fed's losing billions, wiping out profits um, that funded spending. So all of this recycling plan that Yellen talks about, um, I'm sure, uh, needs to address some of this. But again, that's the plumbing that um, I don't follow closely enough, but I can definitely smell the desperation <laughs> and definitely want and needing to do something. I'm very much, you know, transfixed with my intermarket analysis and and that has gotten me into this whole, you know, rates higher theme, lower bond theme, and then it's um, impending impact on the, uh, the market. Um, today, Bank of Canada underwhelmed with a 50 basis point hike instead of 75 and also said that, that they're going to end QT. It helped with this kind of uh, Fed pause sentiment for higher. Um, what's, what's your feel for any of what the rest of the world does as, as an influence to Fed moves? Yeah, look, part of me thinks that... Um these foreign central banks that are, I mean, Australia has already slowed down its rate hike uh, pace. And what we saw last night was a reacceleration of the CPI. Um, Canada is doing a similar thing, kind of read through their transcript. There's basically no reason for them. They basically, everything that they said, you know, suggested they're more concerned about inflation than not, but they just 
slow the pace down because they wanted to. I mean, uh, yeah. Mexico, Mexico also has talked about, uh, you know, kind of a similar thing. So, look, I think part of me thinks that um, they're all making an incredibly uh, big mistake and that they are not going to be successful in solving this inflation riddle um, and, and bringing inflation down. Um, and I think collectively what they're all doing knowingly or unknowingly um, is making a very large bet on oil. Um, oh, it's going to get easier because I am seeing every time that yields pull back, oil pops up like a daisy. And so I think that it makes, it makes total sense. So if you're, if you're a central bank that um, is concerned about inflation, but you're going to lower rates, you have some expectation that inflation is going to fall. Now, those expectations that inflation is going to fall have been wrong for months. Quarters. Yes, yes. I showed so, that chart as well. Inflation consensus, it, it, wrong, wrong, wrong for 40 years. So, <laughs> so, bias. so my view is you must be making, they must collect, they must be making some sort of bet that Saudi and Russia, who right now are, we that the West has strained relations with both, Mm -hmm. But somehow they're going to allow the oil price to fall a lot here to make it the case that inflation is going to fall. It seems like a very uh, misplaced bet. Yeah, I'm with you on that. But it's happening. (laughs) But before we get into the oil um, market, because I have, um, you know, strong opinions on that as, as it relates to this inverse relationship with the yield, it's a yield play, like very much so, um, with the dollar yen. Just kind of a, highlighting something you were talking about, rolling these um, the debts, first and foremost, going back to the big picture, unless interest rates do start to fall, right, sharply, which we do not, you and I both don't expect, but I think they really do for next year. I think 97% of, of surveyed um, asset managers said they expect rates to fall next year. In any case, the interest expense on public debt is going to surpass $1 trillion on an annual basis and become the largest line item in the budget. And I mentioned um, that because it is shockingly worst nightmare. So many people have been waiting, you know, anticipating for this um, higher rate regime to actually wreck our global debt um, dependent economy. And then uh, you were talking with Luke Groman. Uh, I came across this uh, cross-border cap estimate that global t- debt at 350 trillion with an average maturity of five years. Uh, that's basically 70 trillion every year needs to be rolled. And that's eight dollars of refinancing for every one dollar of new financing. So assuming that that's you know even in the ballpark, that's just scary. Yeah. So in regards to um, this Fed pause, uh, you know, theme that is helping the markets basically uh, get going for a bear market rally. Um, how, wh- what are you looking for, for triggers to basically short the rip? So I think if, if the, I'm just going to, I'm going to try to send you this, this chart here, but. Oh, and um, I meant to ask you about the three month yield. Well, I, well, I was just, yeah, I was just going to send you something on okay. three month, 10 year. Yes. Yes. Um, I mean, you have that charter now and it's, it's the, I mean, three months, you know, I think if, if, you put if it in Slack? Three, what's that? You put it in Slack. No, I'm, I'm about to just put it right now. One second. Okay. I think if there was, um, a real story going on that I'm just trying to snip and talk at the same time. <laughs> um, 
But I think if there was a real story going on here about a, 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 a pause pivot and that the Fed was not going to be successful in achieving um, inflation, you know, its inflation target, we would start to see a steepening of the curve. Um, and, uh, you know, because there would be a credibility issue that the Fed's not going to be successful. I think the long end of the bond market would be selling off. Um, so we could, we would bear steepen on that. We would even, we could even bull steepen if, um, you know, there was a view that short-term rates actually were going to come down. So we're not seeing that. We're, we're not seeing the long end sell off here. Now you may say, well, it's because it's, it's quite extended and not, but, but you know, the, over the last few days, the entirety of, of the bond market has rallied. So, um, I just shot you a chart of three months, Where? 10 years. Three oh, months okay, in flat. Yeah. I mean, three month tenure is the Fed's kind of preferred me measure of you know the curve, and we're, we've you know we're at we're at the lows, um, and we're we're inverted now, um, and so look that that is something that they have said is the most important yield curve indicator that they look at, and now that we're inverted, you know clearly uh, from all their models, they would have to believe that the odds of an over tightening and or the odds of a recession are 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 higher than they've been. I mean, they've tried to, you know, say that the curve inverting is not is different this time because of their view that the market believes they will be successful in fighting inflation, and that's why the long end has been more depressed, which has created um, the flattening. I'm not sure I believe it, but that's their Bullard has said that, and others have said that's why they don't really look at the curve flattening as some some risk. But now that their preferred metric. You know, is showing inversion. I suspect that they will. Uh, you know, they'll be asked about. You know, Powell may be asked about it at the meeting, and they'll have to kind of address. You know, whether or not they're doing too much. But, um, you know, as far as the, this the, the, is thirty year. I'm just bringing up a chart yeah. of thirty and three month because it is. Um, you know, pretty telling that it needs to get inverted and stay inverted for a solid tell on on a recession. Um, of size, right? Yeah. So now everything moves at warp speed. It's much, much more reactive. So, uh, I mean, market moves are moving because optionality is intensely um, bid up in options, not uh, the underlying. So we have a lot faster inflections for sure, plus all the quants chasing, um, you know, math levels specifically. But this uh, is at a, this inversion only by a hair just recently this week yeah. um what are your what are your thoughts will it bounce here will it break below um as it relates to the uh the longest 30 year against the shortest three months yeah look i guess i'm not surprised that we are kind of right here at this level of you know basically flat maybe into you know the fed meeting next week i think if the fed is you know hawkish or you know, in my view, consistent messaging with what they've been saying, that they really are serious about stopping inflation, that Powell really is going to be Volcker and he's not going to be Arthur Burns. Um, what I think what will happen is that the curve, this curve will, will further invert. Um, and we will, you know, probably have a, a, a significant, you know, risk off event in that setting as the market comes to grips with the reality that the Fed is not providing liquidity, they continue to contract liquidity, they are really serious about fighting inflation. And, you know, this, this most recent bout of 
this re most recent counter trend move uh, on a pause is really a, a fleeting concept. Um, on the flip side, if it is, if he somehow confirms that, um, you know what, despite all the stuff I went through earlier, there, you know, there, there really is calls for um, a, a, a step down and a quick step down and, and making sure that, um, you know, the terminal rate doesn't move higher. Um, what I suspect would happen in that environment is we would start to, or market would start to question whether or not the Fed has the result. Mm -hmm. Powell really is going to be Arthur Burns. Mm -hmm. and in that setting, I think what would happen is the dollar would weaken, um, but bonds would sell off. Uh, the curve would steepen. Gold would rally, Bitcoin would rally, and oil would rally. Mm -hmm. um, as inflation assets start to become, you know, back really in vogue again on an idea that, you know, the Fed tried to get it down, um, but because of concerns about the growth outlook globally and maybe into, you know, the U.S., maybe some political nonsense as several Democratic senators now are, are pushing back against the Fed for over tightening, you know, for the risk of over tightening, you know, I feel like. They don't know what they're talking about, but you know, Powell then becomes Arthur Burns. The bond market sells off. We we get a kind of risk rally on that dollar weakness, but I I don't really know if the bond market does sell off materially. I'm not really sure how far equities are going to bounce, but I suspect they would you know they would bounce probably up you know through four thousand into maybe up into the you know whatever the two hundred day or up up at higher levels here before they you know sold off again, but. Um, so I guess it's not surprising that we are here at these levels kind of into this meeting. Um, and I think it is an important, you know, another important meeting to determine whether or not Powell is going to be Burns or going to be Bolshev. So I like I, that. That's a, a, a good summation of um, Bondland. I just have one chart that uh, I have been really, really fascinated by for a year now because it has just fallen out of that channel beautifully. Now that's just the 30 year. We're talking about, you know, this bear steepener um, where the, uh, the the 30 year would basically um, outperform the three month and the three month is already exceedingly bid. They both, they still, all of these yield indexes, indices that I have been, you know, showcasing have this rate of change, which is massively still bullish. It's a momentum impulse a multi-year momentum impulse, and none of them have really based safely, um, stabilized, if you will, and turned higher. So we're kind of like catching a falling knife. Uh, what is this to me, though, is extremely dangerous. I still don't see anything other than a potential short, um, you know, bounce in this structure. Uh, otherwise, I still see a lot of risk to the downside in bonds and stocks after we get through the next little, you know, charade of FOMC where they just say, yeah, we're going to keep doing what we said we were going to do. Yeah. The other is this, uh, this is what I mean by the rate of change, by the way. Um, all of this has this rate of change indicator that is just hot fire flames and has stayed bid up since summer of 2020. So we're now not only at 2011 highs, we're percolating higher up to, you know, five and a half, six percent. And that's still very, very hard, I think, for folks to um, get their get their head around. I mean, without just saying, oh, I see it higher. I mean, strategically, this has been extremely tactical <laughs> as it relates to moving higher with momentum. 
Um, we did talk about that. You're right. The dollar pullback, this and a little, you know, this is gold inverse, but the point is it's come back down to a daily channel support around this 109, 110. That doesn't mean it's busted. Obviously, if it keeps going out of this channel, I'll have a very different view, but I'm going to give it a little bit more time um, into next week post FOMC to see this get back inside. But we get back inside, this dollar rally to me is going to pick up speed to the upside. So for right now, we're just coming down inside this this channel and, and you know, poking below just like we did um, back in August when we had that big July to August, you know, mid-July to mid-August um, short covering rally. But big picture, it's still definitely not um, uh, out of trend. And then the yen with this dollar yen that came back uh, with Bank of Japan intervention, it has definitely just for a great quick trade. Um, been a fabulous vehicle. This is FXY, but the same idea. Um, and I don't, I wouldn't be surprised if this gets into the 64, 65 area, but then breaking above it is a whole nother matter. I still think the trend is lower. Mm -hmm. So you were talking about the dollar and you've talked a lot about the dollar from a macro standpoint. What's your um, feeling of where we're at right now um, relative to emerging market risk? And we've talked about the dollar swaps and the intervention, but as it relates to bullish or bearish, big picture, not this short-term pullback into support because of an intervention leading up into FOMC and midterms. What's what's your your sense on the dollar? Yeah, I, I think the trend for dollar remains remains up, remains bullish. Um, I think what we've seen, you know, last. 10 days or so is, is this counter trend move kind of back into support. I'm looking at dollar CNH, right. Made a, you know, made a high yesterday and has had an aggressive move, you know, back lower over the course of the last you know, 36 hours back to the 20 day. I mean, but, you know, ultimately my view remains the fed is still the most aggressive um, central bank. Um, and the U S economy is still the most robust economy. Um, so from a growth and interest rate differentials perspective, it's favorable for dollar. Um, and so what I think is continuing to happen is, as we spoke about last time, many of our allies um, in the UK and Europe and Japan who are energy importers, um, you know, continue to have to raise dollars by selling their treasuries or their reserves um, in order to pay up for uh, the import of energy and food, um, that, that trend hasn't, you know, hasn't really changed, uh, at all. And as far as, you know, emerging markets, I mean, you know, there's, there's an election in Brazil this weekend. So, uh, you know, who really knows where I was pretty weak today. I mean, Mexico, you know, some, some talk about them slowing down the rate hike plan. I think that would be, you know, negative for Mexican peso. Um, as far as Asia concern, you know, Korea is intervening. Taiwan has its issues. I mean, there, there's just not a lot of great cases to be made for emerging market FX uh, currently. So, you know, for me, I think this is, uh, you know, kind of the pause that refreshes and, you know, we'll have one more, uh, you know, kind of move here in dollar higher. Um, that maybe is what ultimately causes this, this, you know, Fed pause reaction function when when something really does break. And maybe there'll be some evidence of negative divergences at the highs 
right? If that's if that's something that we notice, if dollar yen makes a new high or dollar CNH makes a new high with divergences, maybe that'll be you know a signal that the dollar has you know has has topped out. But right now, fundamentally, um, I don't I don't really see it. I have a chart that I like, which is big picture, obviously, but uh, SPX divided by the dollar. And you can kind of see this ratio um, over time. And then, of course, the COVID low and the breakout quite large, obviously, from um, March uh, 2020 into today. And this is still rolling over, which is just basically uh, saying that the dollar was moving higher, <laughs> SPX uh, lower, and it's still a broken pattern. So we could rally, you know, relatively speaking, meaning with um, indices and the dollar weakness right back into the underside of this trend line and continue lower. But it's still a broken structure. So for me, it's uh, there's lots of charts that are intonating risk, even, you know, the dollar uh, Swiss franc, which nobody would expect it to go anywhere, but it is intonating a breakout on the monthly. Um, it hasn't triggered yet. There are just so many charts like that, um, that I think for me, it's really interesting to see how far, here's an example as well, we can get with, hold on, even the dollar, speaking of the dollar, this is the Dow Jones divided by the dollar. Why? because it has this great pattern that can show kind of when we have the strength in the indices, weakness in the dollar, like we have had uh, the past few days, um, but we're right up into resistance again. So we're coming into a place where the dollar very well could get supported. Um, I think that's my baseline bet. Um, we're going to have to wait, but here's the same thing, right? Spy and, and dollar, it's just having a nice oversold bounce. Um, but the, the the pattern is broken. We still have lower levels we cannot move, which to me says dollar much higher and uh, SPY and especially NASDAQ is also at risk of the same thing, right? So this is part of that kind of intermarket where NASDAQ relative to the dollar has been weakening, weakening do with dollar strength. We're having a little kind of stay of execution here, but we definitely have lower levels. And then we've got some big risk off um, if, you know, if the Fed is really going to get through to the, mess the message to the market that they have no interest um, <laughs> in pausing, then I think that will start to get reflected as well. Probably the, the strongest is uh, kind of look is this, um, speaking of we're all rates traders now, this is SPX divided by the 10-year, right? This is a massive, right, 40-plus year channel. Then we had this breakout and... We've since rolled over, but we've broken. We've broken. So this is basically just saying that yields are much stronger and bringing the bar market down, I mean, in a nutshell. And so we can have some stabilization and some mini bounces, but it's still a bear market rally. And right now we are underneath just a lot of resistance. So the past few weeks, this happens to be on a weekly, that has to be on a monthly. But the point is the past few weeks, we have just been in this aggressive consolidation pattern where obviously yields and dollar have softened thanks to the, you know, the Yellen daily piece of uh, threats of treasury buybacks and um, the Bank of Japan intervention and, you know, the, the, the Fed pause 
um, sentiment, but it's just sentiment. <laughs> so I still think that this is um, broken, that the market as it relates to uh, yields have not at all given an indication that they are done going, down, going up and uh, dollars done going up and bonds, bonds are done going down. So where do we go from here? How do you, you know, how do you feel that this is going to be uh, playing out for the rest of the year? I know that's kind of a big jump, um, but we do have lots of, you know, media economic yeah. data, including non-farm payrolls. We've got the Fed um, meeting and we've got, um, you know, Santa Claus rally and the rest. So there's there's no lack of market moving news. Yeah. And there's also no lack of this intensity of market structure where the options market right now is beyond, and I do mean beyond silly, with chasing uh, the, the, the right tails, the crash up. I had uh, posted, and I thought this was just kind of interesting to make note of as well, to show the intensity mm -hmm. of this you know, option market driving a lot of this act, this um, this call buying, which is driving a lot of the rally. Basically, Miguel kind of came out and said, "We've got these right tails crash up hedges from underexposed buy side, right?" So, lots of people why hedge they've already sold um, or why hedge which are selling, but now we've come down into a place where they're afraid of missing, terrified of missing the pivot rally. <laughs> so. Um, this is the upside move. And it's so strong that October, this is the first October, the best October, excuse me, since 1896. Wow. So it's it's an intense, um, you know, short term rally. But the problem is the ricochet effect. So I also kind of put that in um, another stat, which is right here. Literally, we already know that 40% of options traded are weekly options. So this fanatic um, FOMO move, both by institutions and retail, um, has become a thing, right? But then we also have, you can kind of see massive, uh, a, a trillion notional uh, dollars in notional trades now on a given day. On, on, on those zero you know, destination till empty. <laughs> so right. words, they expire worthless on that day. So get in there real quick, fight beta decay and, you know, just drive this um, single stock gamma option flow crazy. The problem is it really can work on the downside as well. So we saw you and I, this kind of max bearish thing going into last Friday's um, Bank of Japan intervention. Now that that is, um, done and it actually stuck the last time they did this it reversed the next day so it was really a one-day wonder this actually has lasted for you know a good so far four trading days so given that they have um this kind of concerted effort to support the market right at a pivotal area before it fell over and i got lots of intermarket that showed we were really at crash risk yep. it was so close it was so close and boom they came right in and defended where to from here for the rest of the, the, the month and year? Yeah. So I'm, I'm looking at this in, let's say, like three time frames. So the first time frame short is very short term. What we have over the next, you know, through next Friday, I even for the election in there. So through the following Tuesday, we have the ECB meeting tomorrow. We have the Bank of Japan meeting on Friday. We have Apple 
tomorrow night. You know, we have the Fed. You know, we have the, e, the PCE and the, and the ECI on Friday. We have the you know we have the, we have ISM on Tuesday. We have the Fed on Wednesday. We have payrolls on on Friday, um, and then we have the election. That's your very short term window. My what I what I think happens is I I think we are going to retrade a a risk off flavor uh, now um, into 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 these events. I think this move that we've had has come too far too fast. Um, on a belief that the Fed is going to pause, pivot, and the like. I think they're going to come out, you know, um, after strong data on Friday, macro data on Friday. Um, I think next week that at their meeting will resume a kind of hawkish intent. That will take us, that will take us back down again. Um, and we will probably start to think about, are they going to break the lows? And, what's going to happen and is there going to be some sort of kick save in the middle of November or, or into the December fed meeting, maybe we'll be having this conversation at the lows and everything will look like crap again. And we'll say, you know, it's time to get bullish again. Maybe it'll break that time. I, I don't exactly know, but so my, but the, the, the short term time frame is I think we're going to have a bout of risk off here. And I think from that, you mentioned just kind of the gamma perspective, ultimately what you need is you need a, you need a rug pull um, kind yeah. of situation. You, you do have a you know potential for that this week because my sense even even though Google and Microsoft and, and Meta are all down, people will be buying Amazon and, and Apple calls. So if if we have the situation where people are long these long these into tomorrow, it's for Friday expiry, um, kind of a lot of call buying on the tape. If those numbers don't come in and those stocks are down. Followed by the ECI and the PCE on Friday morning being hot. That's how you get the market off sides uh, on a day. And so all the call buying gets eviscerated. There wasn't, there's not a lot of, there isn't as many puts out there anymore like there was, say, 10 days ago. So then people can kind of come in with that zero days to expiry put buying on Friday. And try to press this, you know, materially lower on this idea that okay, the earnings didn't come through, and this idea of a Fed pause just—it's it, too soon because the data, you know, we just printed another record PCE print. I'm not saying that's going to happen, but let's let if that's how it plays out, and then we walk into an article over the weekend from you know the Wall Street Journal that says, you know, something that's opposite what he said last time because he's going to write another article, and we're going to have to assume that that there's a reason why he's going to write another article. So I, I, I'm thinking that's kind of how, you know, things are going to play out you know, over the course of the next seven to 10 days. The labor, the, the payroll print on next Friday will, will be strong. I saw UBS today, you know, is looking for 350,000 payroll, you know, in payrolls streets at 200,000. So we're going to try to walk those numbers up. There's no signs of a labor market that's deteriorating. That's your, that's your risk off trade. Now, I think if, if that led to, let's say a sizable Republican sweep, Oh yes, this is uh, on the election. I think that's probably something that maybe that maybe that helps put a bottom in the tape. Uh, you know, hard to play politics, but people will believe that Republicans in there mean um, you know inflation is going to go away because there's going to be no spending, and a lame duck is then becomes good for equities. Um, ultimately, I do think that's you know. While that may kick off a year-end rally or Santa Claus rally, that is setting the stage for a, an awful 2023. 
because mm-hmm. then we'll be in a situation where we, we, we will get no fiscal aid. We will get no fiscal help. We will have earnings deceleration and we will have a Fed that is not adding, not any kind of any closer to adding liquidity. So I think that sets us up for, you know, a, a Santa Claus rally fade. And then we're looking at, you know, much lower equity prices in, you know, first quarter of 2023. So that's kind of phase three of this. So it's down first, counter trend move on some hope and some maybe Republican sweep. Uh, you know, maybe, maybe that's a, I don't think I'm going to necessarily play that through equities, that, that, that counter trend move. I think it's better to maybe play that with oil or gold or Bitcoin or, or something that's kind of this liquidity uh, benefits from this inflation, benefits from the, the, the thought of liquidity. Um, and then look to kind of maybe get short, shorter equities as we kind of transition into 2023. Because I think, you know, we're going to have a pretty crappy fourth quarter from a, an earnings outlook perspective. And, you know, those first quarter prints are not going to be good. Um, so that would be, uh, you know, kind of my base case of how I think this, this, this kind of plays out. Okay. I um, had a question on gold, especially with Brainerd really talking about a real rates rally that's usually, typically negative gold. Um, I still don't see anything yet really strong, and I don't mean the short-term uh, bounce in bonds, yen, and gold that we've had since the you know the BOJ intervention, which we literally caught live in the trading room. And I mean, it's really played out as a trade, but gold as a hedge or as an asset that's going to outperform um, hasn't really triggered yet for me. Do you have any 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 comments as it relates to holding gold in a rising real rate environment? Yeah, what I what I'd say is uh, real rates have been rising now for well over a year, and and gold's actually held them pretty good. Um, if you kind of pull up gold versus these real rate charts, you know it's actually done. It's actually way outperformed expectation its expectations um, versus where you would have expected it to be, given where real rates are. So what, what I think is ultimately gold will anticipate the necessary liquidity that the Fed will bring. Um, and so at some point, and the fact that it, it hasn't been rallying yet in, in a material way suggests to me that there is no anticipation uh, or there's no reality behind a, a Fed that is going to release liquidity back into the market. At the point in time when risk assets are low enough and people are fearful enough, Gold will say, okay, the, the Fed will now need to pause or pivot or cut or whatever, and then gold will start or stop QT, and then gold will start to, you know, really outperform. So the reason I like buying calls here is like, you know, look, it, it's very possible that the Fed will fold and they will just say, you know what, we tried, um, but we, we are, you know, we're not, we're not going to be as aggressive anymore. Growth is slowing, you know, whatever. They'll make up some make up some excuse. Um, so, you know, having gold calls kind of allows me to, you know, be there on that day that they, they come out and say that. I mean, gold has ha- has held in okay here, you know, post the Timoros article. It's not okay. I mean, obviously it's lag, but it's it has bounced off the lows. Bitcoin has bounced off the lows as well. I think that's another, you know, place where you can get some data on this idea that the Fed will add liquidity again. But yeah, look, I think that the fact that the charts don't look good um, from your perspective, suggests probably that we're not going to get the dollar liquidity that maybe is being priced into equities right now and that's being priced into the market narrative. Yeah, I I definitely have um, 
you know, keen interest on following this chart that I mentioned. It's really just a stock bond ratio. And the right side shows that monthly where we have obviously broken down, which is basically risk parity, right? Stocks and bonds have sold off together. It's dramatic. Um, you know, bonds are down aggregate, um, global bonds down 20% and, you know, stocks down even more. But the point is that that to me is busted. So is if the Fed does not continue to raise rates, in other words, this continuation of bonds selling off and yields moving higher to fight inflation, um, then I believe oil will absolutely spike back up. Um, this is really the, the season for midterm elections has, you know, created this suppression of oil. I was asked about um, that in chat in regards to what happened to oil. So it hit that 130 in, in March. Um, that was happened to be a price target from a year earlier and then it came back down and it broke 93. So 93 for me in West Texas intermediary crude is absolutely the level it needs to get back above for this next spike higher. So if yields do start to come down and stay down, there's no question in my mind that oil is going to get up and stay up. So they really have only one choice, raise and keep raising to keep oil down. If they do not, oil will pop up like a daisy and keep going. I'm really, I'm, I've been very, yeah. very focused on that, but nothing has changed. <laughs> nothing, none of my analysis has changed. Well, what the Fed is, I mean, the, uh, the administration has, you know, done, you know, what clearly it's political, but look, they, they've tried to save our allies as well, right? In order to prevent Japan and the UK and Europe from selling even more treasuries to raise dollars to buy oil, what the Fed, I mean, what the administration has done is help keep the oil price down by depleting the strategic petroleum reserve. Yeah, so, so absolutely. So, you know, they have, they have kept the oil price down to basically prevent our yields from blowing out even more. Correct. The issue now is that we've basically depleted the strategic petroleum reserve. We are at lows of from 20, you know, 30 year lows or whatever, 40 year lows, you know, and there's, there's talk of diesel shortages in the U S and Better, yep. so my sense is after the election, it's going to be very difficult for this, uh, just mathematically, the pace can't continue like this, but even just even optically after the election's over there, you know, they'll probably you know, start talking about, um, stopping this plan uh, to end the year, and that is also likely to to bounce the oil, you know, to bounce the oil price, uh, you know, further. So look, and Saudi and Russia are are shrewd global actors, forty chess players. My sense is they are not so keen on seeing the oil price materially fall, you know, from here. And so if we get that situation where the SPR releases happen are, are finished. Russia, Russia, and Saudi want to see a higher oil price. You know, it's winter. Um, that's clearly, the, you know, the winter trade actually is, is helped Europe. You know, so far because it's been warm, so they haven't had their gas issue. If that comes back, you know, we're we're off to the races there um, on gas. But um, you know, if oil prices are moving higher, then yeah, I think that, that the the headline inflation story comes back. The Fed and other central bankers will have lost if they wanted to pause their rate hikes, um, and then yields will have to move materially higher to slow demand, and we'll be back, uh, you know, back again doing doing the same the, the same dance. So um, that's why I like you know having I do have, I own oil calls as well, um, just you know similar 
you know, reason. If we get the Fed pause, if we get a dollar weakness, it's good for oil. If this SPR yeah. stops releasing, it's good for oil. Um, and this isn't even a supply demand debate, right? We're really just talking about this being as long if if the dollar yen moves higher, um, then it's it, it helps to keep you know this this suppression of oil. If it pulls back and the dollar with it, then oil pops up. Uh, gold also pops up. So the oil and gold trade, big picture, are definitely related um, to yields and FX. So I'm I'm in the same camp. It's it. There's also, of course, supporting evidence on a macro, you know, energy crisis theme or on a fundamental um, supply depletion theme post, you know, election. But we have to get through the election uh, to really see, I think, some movement in yields and um oil and gold it's for me it's a package and dollar so those four are the most important macro makes absolutely everything else in equities run and that basically is, is then these little you know live trading removes oh let's go chase this and short that because it's it, we can see it on a shorter time frame but big picture the macro hasn't changed there's still a lot of risk um, it's growing and a, a major policy error. We'll find out, right? Yeah. If they speak the words pause and we see oil shoot up like a rocket, then we're going <laughs> to, it's really the tell. Um, but yeah, this, I'm, I'm, I'm very glad that we could do this again because, um, we, we definitely had, um, some very strong bearish intent in our last webinar. Wanted to update that because the macro landscape changed based on government intervention, but we still have the same risk factors. Um, what's kind of streaming on on the shared uh, screen right now is this macro advisor bundle that I had talked about at the beginning. And in a nutshell, this is um, the uh, the whole purpose of kind of adding a flavor of why things are moving and how to anticipate it because macro is making these market moves, not uh, a it's just not by itself a technical market that is um, standalone. And I really want to encourage those who might be interested, not just in the fishing club, which has more of that tactical trading, but also Craig is very tactical. I mean, you are doing trade um, engagement and support with edge clients, and then you're posting your ma macro analysis um, for clients in our, in our, uh, it's uh, in our client workspace for Slack so we're offering a special for those who want to sign up and work with us both. We also, as part of the fishing club, I have um, six other uh, contributors. So we cover futures and, you know, it's across all time frames and all asset classes, but definitely wanted to thank you very much for attending today and check out this special, which is um, for your first month. And we are very much looking forward to figuring out if we're going to have um some follow through to the Fed uh, on uh, clearly next week, but I would say the risk is not alleviated. We just have a stay of execution as far as we, we don't have a full pardon yet. Um, I don't suspect that that's really in the cards for this year, um, but if we do, then yes, it sets us up for, for more kind of uh, weakness in the new year. So thank you for sharing those macro observations. Any other final thoughts? No, look, I mean, I think, you know, what I try to do is have a framework for where I think asset prices are going. Um, and then I try to use, you know, gross exposure to to manage when, when things get oversold or overbought. And, you know, look, I think that, you know, 
I, I, I certainly could trade these counter trend moves better. I, I'm, I'm still learning. I've been doing this for 20 plus years and, you know, you still learn and still get, you know, you know, the market still is uh, humbling uh, constantly, but, you know, the data really needs to change in order for me to really feel like, uh, you know, I need to change my positioning or change my outlook. And, and I don't, I'm just not, just not seeing it. And so if I'm losing money, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm grossed down. I'm waiting. I'm, I'm trying to identify the points in time where the narrative can, can shift back the other way. Um, often that happens into central bank meetings or, um, you know, data releases. Well, we have a lot of those coming up in the next, you know, few days. So, um, you know, and look, and I will have to have some hedges against that, that negative view. And I think having the, you know, inflation hedges, like a long gold or a long Bitcoin or, or oil against a kind of, you know, generally underweight equity view, I think is a good balance to have kind of into these events that are happening over the course of the next, you know, few days. And if I get more signs that, you know, I'm right and that the narrative is, is hasn't changed and I can get more aggressive and raising, you know, short exposure on, on the equities. I suspect that's what, like how this will play out. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, everyone, for joining. I wish you a great end of the week. Um, Craig and I can be found, found on Twitter, also through Fishing Club Macro Advisor and our Institutional Edge product. Uh, let us know if you have any questions and enjoy Apple return uh, uh, earnings tomorrow evening because I think we're going to have a very eventful Friday morning. <laughs> yep. All right. Cheers, everyone. Take care. Bye. Bye.